Hey everybody, it's Dan Dan, and we are diving into a big book study here. And today we are going to do the chapter called Working with Others. And this is a really important chapter, and that's why this concept gets its own chapter. It's step 12 in our 12 steps. And basically, the idea here is to understand how to identify a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, what are some suggestions on interacting with them, and what types of problems might this prospect have. But most importantly, as we finish this chapter, we'll go into a piece that talks about the benefits of doing this work. And it opens up with those benefits. It starts right off there. You see, us alcoholic types, including myself, are a weird bunch of people in that we look out into this world and we see it for the sake of what it's not giving us. And we see it in a way that's just persistently negative. So it's thought that the only person that can really relate to the alcoholic is another alcoholic. And there's this other idea out there. And there's a reason why, and I think this is the reason why. This is the 12th step, and that is you cannot give away to somebody else that which you don't have. If you want to give somebody chocolate chip cookies and you don't have any, well, you can't give it to them, right? And this is no different. So having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, as a result of these steps, not because of your sponsor or some wonderful quote you got or some inspirational speaker, but having had a spiritual awakening as a result of doing the 11 suggestions up to now, we tried to carry this message, the message of recovery, to let people know we do recover from a hopeless state of mind to other alcoholics and to practice, to means to build in skill and knowledge. Bill uses to build an understanding or experience and understanding, but that's what practice means. We're going to build our skill and knowledge or our experience and understanding of these principles, these constants, these things that never change, spiritual principles, spiritual laws that give us this fantastic life in all of our affairs. Wow, that's a big, broad statement. In all our affairs, no matter who we're dealing with, no matter what the circumstances may be, without regard to what we think or our opinion, We are going to work the code of love and tolerance. We are going to deliver the tactics of patience, kindliness, and gentleness. We are going to frame people up as being sick if they offend us so that we can show them the same compassion and patience we would show anybody who's sick. I like to say people with injured souls, you know, they're they're hurt. They're hurt even if they hurt themselves. And who is going to understand the self-destruction of alcoholism well, better than an alcoholic. So today, when we get started, this chapter actually begins on page 89, and it's a really long chapter. So the first two pieces, the first two installments of working with others are going to focus on how to interact your first encounter or some maybe your second encounter with a green, raw, wet alcoholic, right? Someone who perhaps is ready to make a change in their life. So Page 89, here we go. Practical experience shows that nothing, meaning no other thing, right? No other thing, not reading in the book, not going to church, not doing your religion or whatever it is, not going down by the river, not going for long walks, not exercising, not doing obsessive things of any kind, but nothing, 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 that kind of nothing will so much ensure immunity, immunity, inoculation, absolute safety, immunity from drinking as in 
intensive work, not passive work, not, hey, I raised my hand to sponsor people in the meetings. No one's asked. As intensive work with other alcoholics. It works, meaning intensive work with other alcoholics works when other activities fail. When prayer's not working, work with somebody else. When you're having an argument with someone you love, go work with another alcoholic. Get fired from your job, get into service work with other alcoholics. That's what they're saying here. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. Hmm. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. So this is taking a look at the most difficult case a person to deal with, the currently drinking, resistant, down and out, incomprehensibly demoralized alcoholic. So this ought to work with anybody else too, right? So it goes on. Life will take on new meaning. This is why we do it, to watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. Well, I just want to to notice that if you're in AA to get your wife back, to get a great job, to get out of trouble, to get through the court system, whatever it is, it's not the purpose. The purpose of AA is to empower you with the spiritual tools and to have you demonstrate a spiritual life so that you can go save another person from the incredibly destructive disease of alcoholism. Think about that. All those other things come back automatically, as we know from earlier chapters. It says, perhaps you are not acquainted with any drinkers who want to recover. You can easily find some by asking a few doctors, ministers, priests, or hospitals. Perhaps today what we do is we go to a newcomers meeting or we go to a treatment center to see if we can meet some prospects. They will only be too glad to assist you. Don't start out as an evangelist or reformer. Unfortunately, a lot of prejudice exists. We've all experienced that with any time. The prejudice against AA, right? It's out there. You will be handicapped if you arouse it. Ministers and doctors are competent and you can learn much from them if you wish. But it happens that because of your own drinking experience, here it is, you are uniquely, uniquely, very special or unusually so, uniquely useful to other alcoholics. So, cooperate. (laughs) Wow, there's a skill. This is why you need those other 11 steps. I don't know about you, but as an alcoholic, I'm sort of a renegade and I don't do a whole lot of this cooperate thing, right? So, cooperate. Never criticize. Never express disapproval of other methods. Never criticize. To be helpful is our only aim. When you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about him. If he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste time trying to persuade him. Remember yourself. How much of that guilt and shame got piled on you by people giving you all the real reasons to quit drinking? Like you'd never thought of it. You're like, oh yeah, that's right. I do have a daughter. Oh, okay. You're right for her. That makes sense. Oh, that's right. My wife might leave. Oh yeah. So uh, I'll just do it. I'll just quit drinking so I don't, my wife doesn't leave or I don't lose my job or, you know, if I want to pay this bill, just don't buy liquor. That's so easy, right? We just do that. (laughs) Of course, that's ridiculous. And your wet prospect can't hear it either. Don't waste your time because you may spoil later opportunity, it tells us. 
This advice is given for his family also. They should be patient, realizing they are dealing with a sick person. If there is any indication that he wants to stop, have a good talk with the person most interested in him, usually his wife. Now, it could be his spouse or whatever. This chapter really talks to anybody that's interacting with an alcoholic in an effort to help them. Get an idea of his behavior, his problems, his background, the seriousness or the state of not being fun anymore. The seriousness, how far has he gone? What was the progression of events? The seriousness of his condition and his religious leanings. You need this information to put yourself in his place to see how you would like him to approach you if the tables were turned because all of us have had the tables turned, right? That's how we got exposed to the first 11 suggestions. So the idea is empathy here. Sometimes it is wise, key word, wise to wait. All right, now this is a difficult thing because people do die. I've had sponsees of mine die. Sponsees that I've worked with have had people they were sponsoring die. Sometimes they disappear. They end up in jail. They kill somebody in a car accident. We want to plead with them to do it. Our How It Works says we beg of you, beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. So this is a difficult thing to hear. It's also very important to allow people to find their own bottom. They got to find their own place in that demoralized state that they're finally willing to turn. Crisis, crisis drives the change. Sometimes it is wise to wait till he goes on a binge. The family may object to this, but unless he is in a dangerous physical condition, it is better to risk it. Don't deal with him when he is very drunk unless he is ugly and the family needs your help. Wait for the end of a spree or at least for a lucid interval. A lucid interval is an easy to understand or gap time you know, between events, a point in between where he's cohesive and having some sort of rational thought. Then let his family or a friend ask him if he wants to quit for good and if he would go to any extreme to do so. If he says yes, then his attention should be drawn to you as a person who has recovered. You should be described to him as one of a fellowship who, as part of their own recovery, try to help others and who will be glad to talk to him if he cares to see you. If he does not want to see you, never force yourself upon him. Neither should the family hysterically plead with him to do anything, nor should they tell him much about you. They should wait for the end of his next drinking bout. You might place this book where he can see it in the interval. Here, no specific rule can be given. So he's not telling us exactly what to do. It's sort of a feel it out. So think of things that the family may benefit from. The family may also benefit from reading the first 164 pages. The family may buy into the idea that this may be helpful to them too. And we get into that in the next chapter into wives. So it might be a great idea to have a copy of a big book with you all the time, just stuffed under your car seat or something like that. So if you run into this conversation, the person that has the concern for the alcoholic can get educated themselves on our program and our series of events. It's good. Here, no specific rule can be given. The family must decide these things, but urge them not to be over-anxious, for that might spoil matters. In other words, we make this person any more angry or resentful 
or isolated. It may just hurt matters. Now, we don't know that, but the goal is not to be offensive. The goal is to make the program attractive so that they come to us. We don't have to promote it to them. Goes on to say, usually the family should not try to tell your story. When possible, avoid meeting a man through his family. So I know that seems to go against what he said earlier, but we're talking about changing situations or different environments or different sets of circumstances. So this is something you got to feel out. And it won't always be the family today. It could be a therapist or a fellow AA member. It could be someone referred by the court system or, you know, you're interacting with them in a treatment facility. It could be a lot of different things. So it's something that you're trying to feel out. If the, the golden rule is really in play here, if you were on the other side of the table, if it were you, how do you want to be approached? That's the critical decision maker. Approach through a doctor or an institution is a better bet. If your man needs hospitalization, he should have it. So those are folks out there that are like, all you need is AA. I showed up and just did AA. Well, I did that too. And I went through a horrible detox. And I would advise you that I would have benefited greatly from a medical detox. I'm sure of that. I think the healthcare today and the treatments available today are excellent. And I believe it's important and beneficial for us to encourage people to get hospitalization where it may be available and beneficial. He should have it, but not forcibly. Hospitalization he should have, but not forcibly unless he is violent. And today we have this intervention thing called being arrested if you're violent, right? So you can always leverage the police under those circumstances. And it's important that you do. Do not protect the alcoholic from legal matters. It could easily be that that's the way he's catapulted into our way of life. It says, let the doctor, if he will, tell him he has something in the way of a solution. When your man is better, the doctor might suggest a visit from you. Though you have talked with the family, leave them out of the first discussion. Because you know what we're going to talk about? The really disgusting nature of alcoholism. We're going to talk about losses. We're going to talk about funny moments and really embarrassing things. You never know what might come up. Under these conditions, your prospect will see he is under no pressure. He will feel he can deal with you without being nagged by his family. Call on him while he is still jittery. In other words, get him while they're desperate. He may be more receptive when depressed. So it sounds like awful, right? I'm looking for a jittery, depressed, defeated, hopeless, helpless person. And I'm going to find this guy and get excited. All right, here's my guy. Are you ready? So it says, see your man alone, if possible. And we don't recommend that anymore. We currently recommend, and I believe it's true in my home group, that you go in pairs. When you run a 12-step call, go together. See your man alone, if possible. At first, engage in general conversation. So this is the sequence of events. This is how we talk to them. All the rest prepared us for this. We've learned about them as best we could. And now we're sitting across from this prospect. And we're going to do something with them specific. Here are exact directions. It says, after a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough, not all. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. In other words, sit back, get comfortable, encourage it, ask open-ended questions, encourage it all the way. Let him talk. Let him come to his own realization. So if he wishes to talk, let him do so. You, you will thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. If he is not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit. 
but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. If he is in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture, right? No holier than now. Stay out of good and bad. Stay out of true and false. Stay out of all of that stuff. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his. So we want to build rapport, right? We want to get this person talking to us and trusting us. When he sees you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Here's where we drop into the allergy and we start talking about the spiritual malady. Tell him how baffled you were, how you finally learned that you were sick, the allergy and the obsession. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. How many times did you try to quit? How many years resolutions? How many commitments do you break? This is where we focus on our inability when drinking, when not recovered, to keep commitments to ourselves and to others. Show him the mental twist, which leads to the first drink of a spree. We suggest you do this as we have done it in the chapter on alcoholism. So we go back to more on alcoholism and it literally spells out how to do it. So before you run a 12-step call or you interact with somebody new, not only is this chapter important, but that chapter is also important. They work together. If he is alcoholic, he will understand you at once. He will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. So think about that for a second. You'll hear, I'm not to say anyone else is an alcoholic. Well, that's why you're there. That's why you're at this 12-step call. You're trying to make an assertion as to the level of alcoholic this person may be. Not only that they are or are not alcoholic, but to what degree? What's the seriousness of his condition? We were just asked. If I am satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, well, wait a second. In other words, if I believe, if I think that he's a real alcoholic, it's okay to think that. I can label him that. Now, I'm not going to accuse him of it. I'm not going to dive in by, you're an alcoholic. You No, none of that. None of that. It's just in my judgment, he's enough like me and my experiences are enough like his and his experiences relate to me to such a degree that I think we're the same thing, that we're real alcoholics. So once I make that, once I'm satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, I begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady, of the disease or the illness, malady. Show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. Don't, at this stage, refer to this book unless he has seen it and wishes to discuss it. And be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. There's our statement. We don't brand him. We don't say it out loud. This is an assessment we've made internally. It's in our thoughts, not our words. Let him draw his own conclusions. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, here's where we get a little harsh again. Tell him that possibly he can. If he is not, well, too alcoholic, right? Is there such a thing? But insist that if he is severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. So that's the poison we want to put into that drinking right there. Insist. It, so we're not going to, you know, just say, hey, well, you know, if you, you just give me a call if you're unable to control your drinking. Insist. Insist. Drive it home. Say it four different ways. Give them reasons why you believe what you believe. Insist that if he is severely afflic afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. That'll get you that second call. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. 
another fatal disease. Talk about the conditions of body and of mind which accompany it. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Doctors rightly loathe to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. But you may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you, uniquely qualified, right, offer a solution. Very important thing. You offer a solution. You will soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, of the traits of the alcoholic. If his own doctor is willing to tell him that he is alcoholic, so much the better. Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he has become very curious to know how you got well. Let him ask you that question, if he will. Tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual feature freely. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. So we're going to stop right there because as, as we took this thing down in a funnel, you know, we started out here and, and we've worked our way down into this funnel of information. We've gone from a, a real generalized, ambiguous conversation where we're encouraging them to talk to them, hopefully asking us, how did we get well? We tell them exactly what happened to us. And we emphasize at this point, you know, we've been kind of keeping the book away. We're kind of staying away from looking like a religious zealot. We're sort of staying away from the spiritual end of things. And now all of a sudden we're going to say, you know what? If you want this, this is what's required of you. This is what it requires to be successful at getting sober. This is the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because a lot of people out there think of AA as like a, a self-help program, right? And it's not. We don't help ourselves. It's a spiritual program. We go to God of our understanding for the help. And that's a lot different. I'm not going to rely on positive affirmations, resolutions, commitments, swears, you know, whatever type of oath I might take. I'm going to rely on the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, a God of my understanding, and the power that is given us, that unique skill given us as recovered alcoholics to go help other people to keep me sober. It's a lot different than I, I came into it with. So I think today the, the conversation that is really important when we think about working with others is how do I take my opinion out of it? One of the most difficult things in working with others is maintaining the posture that this is a sick person because I want to grab them by the collar sometimes and shake them and say, hey, do this already. What in the world, you know? Because there are lives at stake and maybe not just their life. Sometimes you'll hear threats of suicide. So conversation might be like this. What do you do when someone you encounter suddenly wants help? What's the next step? We're going to get into that in the second part of this first topic. And that's qualifying our prospect and deciding what to do next. Let's get into that with some idea of what our club or our group recommends. What are the people that we really value, the old timers in the room? What do you guys, what do you guys want to see people do? What have you done when someone is ready to go? The other side of that, of course, is what do you do 
when someone's not willing to do this? What do you do when they're offensive? What do you do if they're violent? So I think those are important conversations to have because just in the North Atlanta area, there's people that have been actually killed on 12-step calls, you know? We're encountering desperate people that stand at a turning point. It's possible it goes that wrong. And it's also impossible that it goes so right that we find the person that's ready to go right now. I've had that experience, and I've had a lot of the resistant experience. Keeping in mind that Bill W. saw people for a year without anyone else staying sober but him, remember we're on a mission from God, that this is our commission in the 12th step, to carry this message to the alcoholic who still suffers. We're going to get into practicing these principles in all our affairs later, but that's the focus right now. So I hope you guys have a great discussion.